everybody, what's up? Welcome into the Athletics. Uh, oh my god, I almost screwed that up there. I'm, I'm, I'm bouncing back and forth between the Fantasy Football Podcast, Best on the Board. This is Best on the Board. Let me get that straight. I do have a Fantasy Football Podcast to do in a couple of hours, but this is Best on the Board at the Athletic. Michael Beller and Casey Joyner here with you on a Friday afternoon to take you through our favorite bets on the board, you might say. The best bets on the board for the remainder of the Week 9 slate. KC, how you doing today? Happy weekend, my friend. Hey, same to you. I just had, that was a fun game last night. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, 45-30 to 30 with the Colts and the Jets. A lot of points in that one. A lot of uh, what we expected, I would say, from uh, some of the big fantasy players as well. Jonathan Taylor going off. Uh, Michael Pittman having himself a good game. Carson Wentz going off. It was a, a nice game all around. And uh, Thursday Night Football, we're never exactly sure what we're going to get. So at least we had an exciting one, a fun one, one that was nice to tune into. And one that uh, you know we squeaked out a Colts cover, which was nice also. I think that's really <laughs> what we're getting at here. And that's what we're getting at for the rest of Week 9. KC, it's time to bounce back, my friend, because yes. uh, last week was an ugly one for us. 0-3 for both of us. Not exactly our best showing. We want to be transparent, straight up with all of you, so you know what you're getting into. 0-3 for both of us, unfortunately. 9-13-1, that is your record on the season. I am sitting at 8-12. Let's get those back toward 500, and let's be profitable by the next couple of weeks here. Uh, let's just jump in. Let's jump right into this, KC. Your first pick. For week nine's action, week nine's remaining action after what we saw last night. I'm going to go with Houston over Miami. Um, the world seems to be forgetting about how good the Houston offense was to start a year when Tyrod Taylor mm-hmm. was the quarterback. I wrote about this in my uh, fantasy football article for The Athletic earlier this week. Uh, over the first two games of the season, now Taylor misses the second half of the second game, but over the first two weeks of the season, the Houston Texans ranked ninth in offensive points per drive, 2.52 yards per or, or points per drive. Really good total. Since then, 0.91 points per drive, Oof. a pace that's dead last. So he, you're going to bring him back. The offense is going to get a nice spike there. Miami's defense hasn't held up well this year. They've had 26 points in six of the past seven games. They've allowed six yards per play. I mean, six yards per play. That's not just per pass play. That's per every play. Miami's offense, they do have some firepower, but <clears throat> I think they're not anywhere near as good as Houston's offense. If Taylor and Taylor is going to be back, David Culley's already confirmed that he is yep. going to be back. With um, with Taylor back, I think the Texans have enough an offensive edge. I actually think they're probably going to win this game outright. But you give them five and a half, and the, the spread was six and a half earlier this week. It's five and a half now. You give them five and a half. I think that they're easily going to cover this. KC, usually when we agree, just for the sake of differentiating a, l- a little bit, I like to do something a little bit different. I let you make your picks first, and then if there's something we agree on, I go in a different direction. I leave one behind because we want to make as many good picks as possible. This was one, however, that I could not leave behind. We are on the exact same page. Give me the Texans plus 5.5 over the Dolphins. This was actually at 7.5 to start the week, and I wrote about this in my early lines column. I jumped on it then because you were getting more than a touchdown, and you know we just had a good sense that Terod Taylor was going to be able to return this week. He was close to returning last week, and so it just seemed like it was pretty sure that he was going to be back this week. You said it all about what they were able to do in those first two games of the season. That first game, the win over the Jaguars that we all remember, and then the second game when Tyron 
Tyrod was in there. This was a, that was a 14-14 game at halftime against the Browns. Then he had to give way to Davis Mills. The Browns end up winning that game 31-21. to But if we go back, and I'll just put it into uh, Tarad's uh, statistical numbers here. He's, so he's played three halves of football this season. 31 for 44, 416 yards, 9.45 yards per attempt, three touchdowns, no interceptions. The, uh, the Texans scored 51 points in those three halves of football. Are they a good team with him? No. Are they a good offense? I think they approach being something of a good offense. They're certainly a competent offense, and he is a much better quarterback than really he's ever gotten credit for being at any of the stops he's made along the way in his career. There is no way there is a five and a half point difference between the Texans and the Dolphins when Terod Taylor is Houston's quarterback. You can you could say that they're the Dolphins are still a better team. They're playing at home. Like I would maybe quibble with it, but I don't think you're crazy if you think the Dolphins are a better team playing at home than Houston. But there is no way they are five and a half points better than Houston at home. Really like this spot for Houston. I am with you. I like Houston as a straight-up winner in this game as well. And you said it, right? Miami's got some offensive firepower, but suddenly they're not going to have Devontae Parker in this game. Uh, This one came out of nowhere on Friday morning. He is now listed as doubtful after suffering a setback in his return from injury. So that's a huge chunk coming out of Miami's offense. I just, I love the Texans here. I don't think there's anything that can talk me out of not only, I know there's nothing that can talk me out of five and a half. I don't think there's anything that can talk me out of taking the Texans straight up to win this game, Casey. Yeah, definitely. It's, I think that the world just hasn't, just doesn't recognize, like you said, how good Taylor, you go back to his Chargers days, you go back to his Buffalo days Mm -hmm. and you look at how good he's been. I mean, he's, again, he's not a great quarterback, but Davis Mills might be the worst quarterback in the league right now, and (laughs) and you're getting at least middle of the road, a middle of the league better and probably better than that. There's no way that you can look at Tarad's career all the way back to the Buffalo days and say he's not like a league average quarterback. And that is just a massive, massive upgrade from what the Texans have had in Davis Mills over the last couple of months of this season. So we are both on the Texans plus five and a half at the Dolphins. Your next pick, KC, takes us to the Battle of Ohio, where we have the Bengals as two and a half point favorites over the Browns. What side are you on and why are you on that side? I'm on the Cincinnati side of this because I again I don't think that the world seems to be recognizing just how injury riddled the the Bengal or the Browns are. Mm-hmm. And the Browns have injuries, their offensive line. They've got injuries in their backfield. Uh Baker Mayfield's banged up. They they had fourteen people on their injury report on Wednesday, and there were eight who didn't practice and there were six who had limited practices. And that doesn't even include I including the players who had full practices who are banged up but they're gonna be listed as that because I presume they're gonna play. Most some of these players are obviously going to play, but yep. they're a massively injured team. It's a primary fact and plus they just obviously they released Odo Beckham. He wasn't doing mm-hmm. anything and he was battling <laughs> multiple shoulder injuries yeah. anyway. But they let him go. A primary factor as to why Cleveland has lost three of its last four games, and they scored 17 or fewer points in four out of their last five games. And they're facing a Bengals team that scored 106 points over the past three games, and now they're returning home after playing five of the past seven contests on the road. So I think they're going to be in, you know, be, be well-rested for having a home game, you know, like suddenly a third time in eight weeks. So I like all of those factors, and I just think, like I said, the Bengals' injuries, I don't know that they're being factored in to what this team is. We keep thinking that they're last year's Browns. It's like they're not. If they're healthy, they might be last year's Browns. But right now, they're not. They're too banged up. Any concerns about addition by subtraction, getting rid of Odell and getting him just off the sideline and totally out of the team's psyche? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, Donovan Peoples-Jones, if, if Peoples-Jones was, and he's still banged up too, mm-hmm. if he's yep, back yep. to what he was when he was healthy, then I might, uh, the, yeah, that might be a concern there if that's the case. But he's not healthy either, and I don't expect a return 
for to form for him, or at least uh, it, it doesn't look like it's trending in that direction. So I'd be I'd feel strong enough to say, hey, if you lose Beckham, who wasn't playing well anyway, and Donovan right. Peoples-Jones doesn't play that well, all right, you're going to start throwing a lot of passes to Austin Hooper and David Njoku. You're going to start involving players who just aren't that uh, that high impact. And yeah. again, the Bengals, I mean, between where they've got in Jamar Chase, they've got Mixon, they have Burrow. I mean, you just keep going down the list. They've got Boyd, they've got Higgins. CJ uh, CJ Uzoma, their tight end, has mm-hmm. been uh, he, he scored twenty seven points of fantasy a couple weeks ago. He's a solid player. And by the way, Uzoma, he's not even just catching passes like Dink and Dunk throws. When you look at his numbers, he's actually yeah. catching vertical passes between the twenties. This isn't a red zone guy. He's actually involved in their in the vertical passing game. So I just look at those weaponry and I compare it to Cleveland's weaponry and offense, and I say, boy, there's a massive amount of uh, differential there for Cincinnati. Enough to where I feel comfortable giving two and a half. You wouldn't necessarily have thought that this would be a game that could potentially be defined by the defenses, even as recently as a couple of weeks ago, and certainly not before the season. But that could end up being the case. I mean, the Browns probably wanted to be that style of game, and the Bengals have shown us you know, last week against the Jets, notwithstanding, that they can play in a game like that. It's a much improved defense this season. A little surprised to see the total sitting at 47 on BetMGM. That's an under that I would consider, although it's not going to be among my picks for this show here. I do have an under that I am going to talk about next. We find it in Denver and Dallas, where the total is 49 and a half, and I am going to go under that number, KC, and uh, here are the reasons why. Uh, Dallas, getting Dak Prescott back, still not 100%. I think we know that. We can say that pretty confident, confidently that he is not quite all the way back to whatever full health is going to look like for him for the remainder of the season. They're 10-point favorites in this game. Could very easily see a, a mindset in Dallas where they say, we're big favorites. You know, they're not talking about it like that, but they know it. They know it. We're the better yeah. team, comfortably the better team. We're playing at home. Our superstar quarterback, who is the reason why we are Super Bowl contenders, is still not quite back to where we would like him to be health-wise. Let's not ask too much of him. Let's not ask too much of the offense. Let's control this game with a defense that is much better than a lot of people thought it was going to be coming into the season. This is a team that is comfortably inside the top 10 in defensive EPA, according according to True Media, both total EPA and EPA per play. And let's win it like that. Then you throw in the fact that CeeDee Lamb twisted his ankle in practice on Wednesday, didn't practice on Thursday. At best, he's going to be listed as questionable going into this game. Amari Cooper hasn't been healthy, fully healthy since the summer. Michael Gallup, unlikely to return for this game. So Dallas now is suddenly dealing with a lot of injuries on their side of the ball, still 10-point favorites. We throw it over to Denver. This is a team that wants to slow games down. This is a team that wants to win with giving you know 25 combined touches to Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams. That's just the style they want to play, and that holds true even with Jerry Judy back. And we saw Jerry Judy back last week. I think he'll be basically himself again this week. So they do have more verticality in the offense than they've had for the bulk of the season now that both Sutton and Jerry Judy are healthy. But it's still a team that is going to commit to getting 25 touches to those two backs. There's just no question about that. Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams, that's where this team lives on offense. And then they let Teddy Bridgewater make the plays where they are available to him. So you have a Denver team that, by structure and by uh, just mentality, wants to play a slower, low-scoring game. You have a Dallas team that probably needs to play that way more than we ever really see from them because of the injuries they have on offense and feels likely that they can win a game that is played more in the low 20s rather than the high 20s. And so 49.5 feels to me like a total that assumes full health for Dallas and then Denver trying to chase, and I just don't think that's the style of game we're going to see this weekend between these teams. So I I don't think this is going to be a 17-13 slugfest. I don't think this is going to be something like we might see on Monday night between the Bears and the Steelers, but I do think this is a game that's more like 
23 to 13 Cowboys rather than 33 to 23 Cowboys, assuming that 10 point line. Yeah, and if you're Denver, <clears throat> you're certainly not going to want to try and throw at Javon Diggs. Uh, Dallas had had two or more turnovers in every game for the entire season till last week. I think I could see this game playing a lot like the Minnesota game did too, because you, again, you don't want to be testing Diggs. Diggs mm-hmm. can be tested in coverage. He's not very good yards per target wise, but he makes so many picks. You don't want Teddy Bridgewater making that throw. Brown on the other side is a pretty solid cornerback, and the the uh, uh, Cowboys' rush defense has been solid this year. They're not a great rush defense, but there was times recently when that was a team that you would run the ball against a lot, yeah. and you say, okay, we can we can make a living doing that. It's going to be tough for Denver to make a living doing that. So. I see this playing out very much like uh, the Minnesota Dallas game did last week, which would have been which would have been under this total. Forty nine and a half again. That's the mark on BetMGM for Broncos and Cowboys on the total, and that is one that I am going under. All right, KC. One more pick a piece. I just mentioned the Monday night game between the Bears and the Steelers, and that's where you go for your third pick. It is Steelers minus six and a half, and you are riding that home team. I am because the Steelers came of the season and their owner told them, told the coach and the general manager, we need to be a run heavy team this year again. We need to be a power running team. That's who we are as the Steelers. That's the way we draft. That's the way we try and build our team. That That's what we are. And they didn't do that in the first four weeks of the season because they tallied 75 or fewer rushing yards in each of those games. They weren't really there. The last four weeks, though, they posted 115 or more rushing yards in three straight contests. And last week, uh, the, and the Bears have been awful at stopping them, I should say. They've allowed 481 rushing yards over the past three weeks. So I think the Steelers are going to be able to move the ball very effectively on the ground. Najee Harris as offensive rookie of the year to the him or Jamar Chase. And right mm-hmm. now, I'm still on the Najee Harris bandwagon. Ooh. I think that he's got a, a better chance for that. I know the odds favor Chase, but I think that wide receivers tend to wear down more than running backs. So I think uh, Najee will stay there. The Bears have yet to pass for 200 yards in a single game this year. They've got the worst pass blocking line in the league, and the Steelers had their best performance mm-hmm. of the season last week against Cleveland. So I don't see them ever being able to pass the ball. I know they've got the makings of a, of a running game, but you don't want to try and run the ball against the Steelers. That's They're a very good run defense. Not a great run defense, but you're not going to make a living doing that. And I, and I know that there's problems with the Steelers' passing game. I know the aerial tech isn't that great, but they still have talented receivers, and Ben can throw short passes. He can mm-hmm. do that, and he can hit the occasional vertical pass. He can keep you sort of honest on that, but again, I don't think I think the Bears' deep run defense is just so bad that the Steelers are going to be able to rush for a buck fifty, and I think they're going to be able to make enough big plays on defense with the pass rush they're going to be able to get on fields. And I just don't – I have trouble seeing Chicago scoring more than like 13 points in this game. And, and I say, can I get Pittsburgh to 20? Yeah, pretty <laughs> easily. I could probably get them to 23. They might be 23-13, really low scoring, but I just can't see Chicago putting up that much. And it wouldn't be a shock if Steelers make a big play on defense or Harris gets a breakaway run or, mm-hmm. or, can, or can get 200, let's say, if they can get to that level. I'd be surprised to see Steelers get to 30. And I just can't see Chicago – I don't see them getting more than 13, maybe 16 if they're lucky. Uh, so really quick, let me just drop in those uh, Offensive Rookie of the Year odds from BetMGM. Jamar Chase, a big favorite, still at minus 145. Najee Harris sitting at plus 1,100, Casey. Might be the time. Might be the time to go make a little wager, especially with that AFC North suddenly clumping up and maybe the Steelers make a little bit of a run here, get into the playoffs behind Najee being maybe the engine of the offense, considering what we've seen from the passing game this season might be something you want to think yeah. about over the uh, right now before the, he goes out and runs for that 200 against the Bears this week. No Khalil Mack, it looks like, for the Bears. Nothing official on that yet, but just on Thursday, uh, Matt Nagy said, still day-to-day, didn't play last week. Have to imagine Khalil Mack's not going to be out there for the Bears again. And this is a defense that 
taken a little bit of a turn over the last few weeks. So that would be the way I would lean. It's probably a stay away for me. If I was going to bet, I would probably lean Steelers uh, on the six and a half. We did see you know, probably the best performance from Justin Fields and the Bears offense since he took over last week against the 49ers. Uh, is there anything that you look into that and say, maybe Fields can get me into a little bit of trouble? If uh, if they'll let, if, if he can run and, and they'll let him run, and they'll lean on that. Yeah, they could, but I still think you have to threaten the Steelers secondary because if mm-hmm. you're trying to get into a smash mouth contest with them, their defense is built for that. Yeah. What what you want to do against the Steelers is is go against their their defense. Their secondary is not terrible. You got Mika Fitzpatrick back there; he's really good. But their corners are kind of shaky. That's where you want to beat them. If you're going to beat the Steelers, you have to be able to throw against them. I just don't think the Bears can do it. If they can't do it, the Steelers are just going to all sell all out for the run. And yeah, Fields is very talented. But if you're in a one dimensional offense, it's mm-hmm. really tough to make that move against the Steelers. That's why I like if I, if they had a little more verticality to their passing game, a little more consistency to their passing game, I'd be like, okay, I think the Bears can keep this close enough I just don't think they can threaten that defense at all I mean Allen Robinson's been terrible Jarno mm-hmm. Mooney's their best vertical threat and he's mediocre too and they really don't have any Marquise Goodwin's their three and you know commits their tight end I mean they just don't have none of any playmakers in the passing game and I, if, if they want to throw the ball and try and do that, that that's great because I think Fields is still uh mistake prone enough that he could throw a couple picks if they want to lean in that direction which is why I think Chicago doesn't lean in the passing game so I, if they get in a slugfest though they're going to be hard pressed to score that many points because that's what the Steelers want you to do yeah very hard to find any reasons for confidence in the Chicago offense against an above average defense really any above average defense and I think we would all put the Steelers as comfortably above average so definitely could be tough sledding for the Bears on Monday night football I will make a quick case for my final pick of the week it is Bills minus 14 and a half at the Jaguars KC we have seen the Bills play four games against teams that are nowhere near the playoff discussion. They've already played their two divisional matchups with the Dolphins. They've played the Washington football team. They have played the Houston Texans. Those games, KC, have gone as follows. 35-0 over the Dolphins. 43-21 over the football team. 40-0 over the Texans. And then 26-11 over the Dolphins. Maybe a little bit of a lucky cover against the Dolphins last week, but still. The point remains that they have faced these four teams, nowhere near the playoff discussion, just like where the Jaguars find themselves. Bad teams, bottom third teams, and that's even maybe being a little bit generous to include Washington in this group. We're really talking probably bottom six or seven teams in the NFL, and these teams have come nowhere near putting anything together against this Bills team on offense or on defense. And this Bills team has shown us that they are going to snuff these teams out and they're not even going to leave that back door open for a potential you know, game that they control but ultimately only win by 14 or 13 points. That's not happening against this Bills team. We haven't seen it against any teams of this very low caliber like the Jaguars. Why would we suddenly expect to see it this week? I think the Bills win this one by three touchdowns. Bill James used to say that you could tell a great team. In fact, he used to, people was, uh, he'd do some statistical studies and about great teams. And he found that great teams usually don't win close games. We were like, oh, well, they don't win close games, and, and they would misunderstand why. James would point out, great teams don't lose close games because they don't get into close games. Mm-hmm. When they play bad teams, they destroy them. And, and that's what's going to happen here. They don't do the the Bills don't do what I've called over the years Tomlining, which is uh, and Mike Tomlin. Hey, uh, we're Steelers fans in this house, and my, my kids are big Steelers fan. But well, Mike Tomlin's teams will tend to play down to the level of their competition. That would be the only concern I have about Monday night. But they're so desperate right now, I think that they'll still fight through that. But that would be what they would do, when especially when they were riding high. They would if they would come under against a, a bad opponent and play down to their talent level. And the Bills just aren't doing that. And, and that's two signs of a great team that mm-hmm. you don't play down to your competition level. 
And again, you don't get into close, you don't win close games because you don't get into them. So I do like the idea of them being able to do this because they'll put their foot on the on the gas. And if they get ahead, if they're up twenty three nothing, they're going to make it thirty nothing. They're not going to slow down on either side of the ball. So plus, I love how the Bills' defense is playing. Their offense was great last year, and I thought their defense was. Good, very good, but not what it is this year. This year, that this is a defense that can clamp you down and, 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 and knock you out. The nature of the Bills' offense is the last thing I wanted to add here. They are not a team that has a great offense, but when it gets up, leans on its run game. They're not a team that's going to get up 24 nothing in this game and be like, all right, we've got it. Let's give Zach Moss 15 carries in the second half. That is just, that's not what they do. That's not how they're built to play. Like, it doesn't really matter what sort of game they're in. Even if they get into that sort of game, maybe they dial it back. Maybe we don't see Josh Allen taking these huge deep shots, but he's still going to be out there slinging it around. That's just, I mean, that's sort of what they have to do. That's what the personnel dictates. They don't have the personnel on offense to suddenly be a grind out the second half team. That's just not who the Bills are. It's not who they are in their heads, and it's not what they're built to be. They can't suddenly turn that on, even if they find themselves up 24-0 or 31-0 in this game. So I really feel no concern about that whatsoever. Bills cruise in this one against the Jaguars. And hopefully, Casey, we cruise to something better than the 0-6 that we had a week ago. That's going to do it for this episode of Best on the Board. Thank you so much for joining us on YouTube if you're watching right now live or on the podcast whenever you are listening to us. For Casey Joyner, I am Michael Beller. Thanks again for listening. Have a great weekend. Good luck. And as always, happy betting.